Section 32 of The San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dennis Sayers. The San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire by Charles Morris. Chapter 31 Mud Volcanoes, Geysers, and Hot Springs. Our usual impression of a volcano is indicated in the title of Burning Mountain, so often employed, a great fire spouting cone of volcanic debris, from which steam, lava, rock masses, cinder like fragments, and dust, often of extreme fineness, are flung high into the air, or flow in river-like torrents of molten rock. This, no doubt, applies in the majority of cases, but the volcanic forces do not confine themselves to these magnificent displays of energy, nor are their products limited to those above specified. We have seen that mud is a not uncommon product, due to the mingling of water with volcanic dust, while water alone is occasionally emitted, of which we have a marked instance in the Volcán de Agua of Guatemala, already mentioned. As regards mud flows, we may specially instance the first outflow from Mount Pele, that by which the Garan sugar-works were overwhelmed. The imprisoned forces of the earth have still other modes of manifestation. A very frequent one of these, and the most destructive to human life of them all, is the earthquake. Minor manifestations of volcanic action may be seen in the geyser and the hot spring, the latter the most widely disseminated of all the resultant effects of the heated condition of the earth's interior. It is these displays of subterranean energy, differing from those usually termed volcanic, yet due to the same general causes that we have next to consider. And it may be premised that their manifestations, while, except in the case of the earthquake, less violent, are no less interesting, especially as the minor displays are free from that peril to human life which renders the major ones so terrible. While the largest volcanoes at times pour out rivers of liquid mud, there are volcanoes from which nothing is ever ejected but mud and water, the latter being generally salt. From this circumstance, they are sometimes called salses, but they are more generally termed mud volcanoes. Some varieties of them throw out little else than gases of different sorts, and these are called air volcanoes. The Great Mud Volcano of Sicily One of the best-known mud volcanoes is at Maculuba, near Girgenti in Sicily. It consists of several conical mounds, varying from time to time in their form and height, which ranges from eight to thirty feet. From orifices on the tops of these mounds, there are thrown out sometimes jets of warmish water and mud mixed with bitumen, 
sometimes bubbles of gas, chiefly carbonic acid and carburetted hydrogen, occasionally pure nitrogen. The mud ejected has often a strong sulfurous smell. The jets, in general, ascend only to a moderate height, but occasionally they are thrown up with great violence, attaining a height of about 200 feet. In 1777 there was ejected an immense column, consisting of mud strongly impregnated with sulphur and mixed with naphtha and stones, accompanied also by quantities of sulphurous vapors. This mud volcano is known to have been in action for fifteen centuries. Very recently a small mud volcano has been formed on the flanks of Mount Etna. It began with the throwing up of jets of boiling water, mixed with petroleum and mud, great quantities of gas bubbling up at the same time. In several of the valleys of Iceland there are similar phenomena, the boiling water and mud being thrown up in jets to the height of fifteen feet and upwards, the mud accumulating around the orifices whence the jets arise. A mud volcano named Korobetov in the Crimea presents phenomena more akin to those of the igneous volcanoes of South America. There was an eruption from this mountain on the 6th of August, 1853. It began by throwing up from the summit a column of fire and smoke, which ascended to a great height. This continued for five or six minutes, and was followed at short intervals by two similar eruptions. There was then ejected, with a hissing noise, a quantity of black fetid mud, which was so hot as to scorch the grass on the edges of the stream. The mud continued to pour out for three hours, covering a wide space at the mountain's base. The mud volcanoes on the coast of Baluchistan are very numerous, and extend over an area of nearly a thousand miles. Their action resembles that at Makaluba. THE MUD VOLCANO OF JAVA There is a mud volcano in Java which is of interest as somewhat resembling the geyser in its mode of operation, and apparently due to similar agencies. It is thus described by Dr. Horsfield. Quote, On approaching it from a distance, it is first discovered by a large volume of smoke, rising and disappearing at intervals of a few seconds, resembling the vapors rising from a violent surf. A loud noise is heard, like that of distant thunder. Having advanced so near that the vision was no longer impeded by the smoke, a large hemispherical mass was observed, consisting of black earth mixed with water, about sixteen feet in diameter, rising to the height of twenty or thirty feet in a perfectly regular manner, and as if it were pushed up by a great force beneath, which suddenly exploded with a loud noise, and scattered about a volume of black mud in every direction. After an interval of two or three or sometimes four or five seconds, the hemispherical body of mud rose and exploded again. In the manner stated, this volcanic ebullition goes on without interruption, throwing up a globular body of mud, 
and dispersing it with violence through the neighboring plain. The spot where the ebullition occurs is nearly circular and perfectly level. It is covered only with the earthy particles impregnated with salt water which are thrown up from below. The circumference may be estimated at about half an English mile. In order to conduct the salt water to the circumference, small passages or gutters are made in the loose muddy earth which lead to the borders, where it is collected in holes dug in the ground for the purpose of evaporation. Close quote. The mud has a strong pungent sulfurous smell resembling that of mineral oil and is hotter than the surrounding atmosphere. During the rainy season, the explosions increase in violence. There are submarine mud volcanoes, as well as those of igneous kind. In 1814, one of this character broke out in the Sea of Azov, beginning with flame and black smoke, accompanied by earth and stones, which were flung to a great height. Ten of these explosions occurred, and after a period of rest others were heard during the night the next morning there was visible above the water an island of mud some ten feet high a very similar occurrence took place in eighteen twenty seven near baku in the caspian sea this began with a flaming display and the ejection of great fragments of rock an eruption of mud succeeded a set of small volcanoes discovered by Humboldt and Turbaco in South America confined their emissions almost wholly to gases, chiefly nitrogen. There is a close connection in character between mud volcanoes and those intermittent boiling springs named geysers. A good many of the mud volcanoes throw out jets of boiling water along with the mud, but in the case of the geysers, the boiling water is ejected alone, without any visible impregnation, though some mineral in solution, as silica, carbonate of lime, or sulphur, is usually present. The geyser is a water volcano. The phenomenon of the geyser serves in a measure to support the theory that steam is an important agent in volcanic action. A geyser, in fact, may be designated as a water volcano, since it throws up water only. It comprises a cone, or mound, usually only a few feet high. In the middle of this is a crater-like opening, with a passage leading down into the earth. As in the case of the volcano, the geyser cone is built up by its own action. In the boiling water, which is ejected, there is dissolved a certain amount of silica. As the water falls and cools, this mineral is deposited, usually building up a cup-like elevation. The basin of the geyser is generally full of clear water, with a little steam rising from its surface. But at intervals an eruption takes place, sometimes at regular periods, but more often at irregular intervals. Perhaps the largest and best-known geysers in the world are those of Iceland, chief among them being the Great Geyser. Silica is the mineral with which the waters of this fountain are impregnated, and the substance which they deposit, as they slowly evaporate, 
is named Salacious Centre. Of this material is comprised the mound, six or seven feet high, on which the spring is situated. On the top of the mound is a large oval basin, about three feet in depth, measuring in its larger diameter about fifty-six, and in its shorter about forty-six feet. The center of this basin is occupied by a circular well, about ten feet in diameter, and between seventy and eighty feet deep. Out of the central well springs a jet of boiling water, at intervals of six or seven hours. When the fountain is at rest, both the basin and the well appear quite empty, and no steam is seen. But on the approach of the moment for action, the water rises in the well, till it flows over into the basin. Then loud subterranean explosions are heard, and the ground all round is violently shaken. Instantly, and with immense force, a steaming jet of boiling water, of the full width of the well, springs up and ascends to a great height in the air. The top of this large column of water is enveloped in vast clouds of steam, which diffuse themselves through the air, rendering it misty. These jets succeed each other with great rapidity to the number of sixteen or eighteen, the period of action of the fountain being about five minutes. The last of the jets generally ascends to the greatest height, usually to about a hundred, but sometimes to one hundred and fifty feet. On one occasion it rose to the great height of two hundred and twelve feet. Having ejected this great column of water, the action ceases, and the water that had filled the basin sinks down into the well. There it remains till the time for the next eruption, when the same phenomena are repeated. It has been found that by throwing large stones into the well, the period of the eruption may be hastened, while the loudness of the explosions and the violence of the fountain effect are increased, the stones being at the same time ejected with great force. Eruption can be induced by artificial means. Geysers are found all over the island, presenting various peculiarities. In the case of one of the smaller ones, which is called Stroker, or the Churn, an eruption can be induced by artificial means. A barrel load of sods is thrown into the crater of the geyser, with the effect of causing an eruption. The sensitiveness of Stroker is due to its peculiar form. An observer states that, quote, the bore is eight feet in diameter at the top, and forty-four feet deep. Below twenty-seven feet it contracts to nineteen inches, so that the turf thrown in completely chokes it. Steam collects below. A foaming scum covers the surface of the water, and in a quarter of an hour it surges up the pipe. The fountain then begins playing, sending its bundles of jets rather higher than those of the great geyser, flinging up the clouds of turf which had been its obstruction like a number of rockets. This magnificent display continues for a quarter of an hour or twenty minutes. 
the erupted water flows back into the pipe from the curved sides of the bowl. This occasions a succession of bursts, the last expiring effort very generally being the most magnificent. Stroker gives no warning thumps like the great geyser, and there is not the same roaring of steam accompanying the outbreak of the water. Close quote. The same author thus describes an eruption of the great geyser, which occurred about two o'clock in the morning. Quote, a violent concussion of the ground brought me and my companions to our feet. We rushed out of the tent in every condition of deshabille, and were in time to see geyser put forth his full strength. Five strokes underground were the signal, then an overflow, wetting every side of the mound. Presently a dome of water rose in the center of the basin, and fell again, immediately to be followed by a fresh bell, which sprang into the air fully forty feet high, accompanied by a roaring burst of steam. Instantly the fountain began to play with the utmost violence, a column rushing up to the height of ninety or one hundred feet against the grey night sky, with mighty volumes of white steam cloud rolling after it, and swept off by the breeze to fall in torrents of hot rain. Jets and lines of water tore their way through the clouds, or leaped high above its domed mass. The earth trembled and throbbed during the explosion, then the columns sank, started up again, dropped once more, and seemed to be sucked back into the earth. We ran to the basin, which was left dry, and looked down the bore at the water, which was bubbling at the depth of six feet. In the case of Stroker, the cause of this eruption is not difficult to understand. The narrow part of the channel is choked up by the turf and the steam, and prevented from escaping. Finally, it gains such force as to drive out the obstacle with a violent explosion, just as a bottle of fermenting liquor may blow out the cork and discharge some of its contents. Geysers are somewhat abundant phenomena existing in many parts of the earth, while striking examples of them are found in the widely separated regions of Iceland, New Zealand, Japan, and the western United States. In the volcanic region of New Zealand, geysers and their associated hot springs are abundant. It was to their action that we owed the famous white and pink terraces and the warm lake of Rotamahana, which were ruined by the destructive eruption of Mount Tarawera, already described. Geysers of the United States the United States is abundantly supplied with hot springs, but geysers, outside of the Yellowstone region, are found only in California and Nevada. Those of California exist chiefly in Napa Valley, north of San Francisco, in a canyon, or defile. Their waters are impregnated not with silica, but with sulfur and they thus approach more nearly in their character to mud volcanoes, whose ejections are, in like manner, 
much impregnated with that substance. They are also, like them, collected in groups, there being no less than one hundred openings within a space of flat ground a mile square. Owing to their number and proximity, their individual energy is nothing like so violent as that of the geysers of Iceland. Their jets seldom rise higher than twenty or thirty feet, but so great a number playing within so confined a space produces an imposing effect. The jets of boiling water issue with a loud noise from little conical mounds, around which the ground is merely a crust of sulphur. When this crust is penetrated, the boiling water may be seen underneath. The rocks in the neighborhood of these fountains are all corroded by the action of the sulphurous vapors. Nevertheless, within a distance of not more than fifty feet from them, trees grow without injury to their health. Few of these fountains, however, are regular geysers, most of them discharging only steam. From the steamboat geyser, this ascends to a height of from fifty to one hundred feet, with a roar like that of the escape from a steamboat boiler. Associated with the geysers are numerous hot springs, some clear, some turbid, and variously impregnated with iron, sulphur, or alum. In Nevada, the steamboat springs, as they are designated, exist in Washoe Valley, east of the Virginian range. They come nearer in character to the Yellowstone geysers, their waters depositing true geyserite, or siliceous concretions. The Volcano Springs in Louder County are also true geysers, though of small importance. The ground here is so thickly perforated by holes from which steam escapes that it looks like a colander. THE YELLOWSTONE GEYSERS The most remarkable geyser country in the world, alike for the size and the number of its spouting fountains, is the Yellowstone region in the northwest part of the territory of Wyoming in the United States, which, by a special act of Congress, has been reserved as the Yellowstone National Park, exempt from settlement, purchase, or preemption. Here nearly every form of geyser and unintermittent hot spring occurs, with deposits of various kinds, siliceous, calcareous, etc. Of the hot springs, Dr. Peel enumerates 2,195, and considers that within the limits of the park, which is about 54 miles by 62 miles, and includes 3,312 square miles, as many as 3,000 exist. The same geologist notes the existence of 71 geysers in the area mentioned, though some of the number are only inferred to be spouting springs from the form of their basins and the character of the surrounding deposits. Of this vast collection of still and eruptive springs, between which there seems every gradation, those which do not send water into the air are, owing to the magnificent cascades which they form, often quite as remarkable as those which take the shape of geysers. The more striking of the latter may, however, be briefly mentioned. In the Gibbon Basin is a geyser of late origin. 
1878 this consisted of two steam holes, roaring on the side of a hill that looked as if they had recently burst through the surface, and the gully, leading towards the ravine, was at that date filled with sand, which appeared to have been poured out during an eruption. Dead trees stood on the line of this sand floor, and others, with their bark still remaining, and even with their foliage not lost, were uprooted hard by, everything indicating that the steamboat vent, as it was called, was of recent formation. In 1875 it had no existence, but in 1879 the spouting spring, which first opened, it is believed, on the 11th of August in the preceding year, had, quote, settled down to business as a very powerful flowing geyser, close quote, with a double period, one eruption occurring every half hour, and projecting water to the height of thirty feet, the main eruption occurring every six or seven days, with long, continued action, and a column of nearly one hundred feet. The new geyser, in the same basin, is also of quite recent origin. It consists of two fissures in the rock, in which the water boils vigorously, but there is no mound, and the rocks of the fissure are just beginning to get a coating of the siliceous geyserite deposited from the water, so that it cannot long have been spouting. Again, in the grotto geyser, in the upper geyser basin of Firehole River, the main or larger crater is hollowed into fantastic arches, beneath which are the grotto-like cavities from which it is named, which act as lateral orifices for the escape of water during an eruption. It plays several times in the course of the twenty-four hours, and sends a column of water sixty feet high, the eruption lasting an hour. As yet, however, the force of the water has not been sufficient, or of sufficiently long duration, to break through the arches covering the basin or crater. The Excelsior, claimed to be the largest of its order, which sent water nearly three hundred feet into the air at intervals of about five hours, and of such volume as to wash away bridges over small streams below, was not, until comparatively recent years, known as a specially powerful geyser. But if it had for a time waned in importance, its immense crater, 330 feet in length and 200 feet at the widest part, shows that, at a still earlier date, it was a gigantic fountain. In this deep pit, when the breeze wafted aside the clouds of steam constantly arising from its surface, the water could be seen seething fifteen or twenty feet below the surrounding level. Yet into the cauldron of boiling water, a little stream of cold water from the melting snow of the uplands ran unceasingly. Since 1888, this great geyser has been inactive. The Castle Geyser is so named on account of the fancied resemblance which its mound of white and grey deposit presents to the ruins of a feudal keep, the crater itself being placed on a cone or turret, 
which has a somewhat imposing appearance compared with the other geysers in the neighborhood. It throws a column usually about 50 or 60 feet high, at intervals of two or three hours, but sometimes the discharge shoots up much higher. The giant, in the upper geyser basin, has a peculiar crater, which has been likened to the stump of a hollow sycamore tree of gigantic proportions, whose top has been wrenched off by a storm. The curious cup is broken down at one side, as though it had been torn away during an eruption of more than ordinary violence, and on this side the visitor is able to look into the crater, if he can contrive to avoid the jets which are constantly spouted from it. The periods of rest which it takes are varied, an eruption often not occurring for several days at a time, Yet, when it breaks out, it continues playing for more than three hours, with a volume of water reaching a height of from 130 to 140 feet. In the interval, little spouts are constantly in progress. Mr. Stanley saw one eruption which he calculated to have shot a column of water to the height of more than 200 feet. At first, it seemed as though the geyser was only making a feint, the discharge which preceded the great one being merely repeated several times, followed by a cessation both of the rumbling noises and of the ejection of water. But soon after a premonitory cloud of steam, the geyser began to work in earnest, the column discharge rising higher and higher until it reached the altitude mentioned. Quote, at first it appeared to labor in raising the immense volume, which seemed loath to start on its heavenward tour, but it was with perfect ease that the stupendous column was held to its place, the water breaking into jets and returning in glittering showers to the basin. The steam ascended in dense volumes for thousands of feet, when it was freighted on the wings of the winds and borne away in clouds. The fearful rumble and confusion attending it were as the sound of distant artillery, the rushing of many horses to battle, or the roar of a fearful tornado. It commenced to act at 2 p.m., and continued for an hour and a half, the latter part of which it emitted little else than steam, rushing upward from its chambers below of which, if controlled, there was enough to run an engine of wonderful power. The waving to and fro of such a gigantic fountain, when the column is at its height, tinseled o'er in robes of varying hues, and glistening in the bright sunlight, which adorns it with the glowing colors of many a gorgeous rainbow, affords a spectacle so wonderful and grandly magnificent, so overwhelming to the mind, that the ablest attempt at description gives the reader who has never witnessed such a display but a feeble idea of its glory. A description of the geyser at work. The only other geysers in this remarkable geyser land which we can spare room to notice are those of the giantess the beehive, and the grand. 
the giantess sends a column of water to the height of 250 feet. An eruption is usually divided into three periods, two preliminary efforts and a final one, divided from each other by intervals of between one and two hours, while the intervals of discharge are very long. Sometimes it does not play for several weeks. The beehive, which is 400 feet from the giantess, gets its name from the peculiar beehive-like cone which it has formed. The eruption is also almost unique. It is heralded by a slight escape of steam, which is followed by a column of steam and water, shooting to the height of over 200 feet. The column is somewhat fan-shaped, but it does not fall in rain, the spray being evaporated and carried off as steam, if, indeed, there is not more steam than water in the column. The duration of the discharge is between four and five minutes, and the interval between two eruptions from twenty-one to twenty-five hours. The Grand is one of the most important in the Upper Geyser Basin, yet, unlike the Grotto, the Giant, or the Old Faithful, so called from its frequent and regular eruptions, it has no raised cone or crater, and a much less cavernous bowl than the giantess and other geysers. The column discharged ascends to the height of from 80 to 200 feet, and the eruptions last from 15 minutes to three quarters of an hour, with intervals on an average of from 7 to 20 hours. This fountain is apparently very irregular in its action, though it is just possible that when the Yellowstone geysers have been more consecutively studied, it will be found that these seeming irregularities depend on the varying supplies of water at different times of the year. The Mammoth Hot Springs The marvelous phenomena of the Yellowstone region are not confined to geyser action, hot springs of steady flow being, as above stated, exceedingly numerous. Of these, the most striking are those known as the Mammoth Hot Springs, whose waters find their way through underground passages, finally flowing from an opening as the Boiling River, which empties into the Gardiner River. These springs are marvels of beauty. Their terraced bowls, adorned with delicate fretwork, are among the finest specimens of nature's handiwork in the world, and the colored waters themselves are startling in their brilliancy. Red, pink, black, canary, green, saffron, blue, chocolate, and all their intermediate gradations are found here in exquisite harmony. The springs rise in terraces of various heights and widths, having intermingled with their delicate shades chalk-like cliffs, soft and crumbly, these latter being the remains of springs from which the life and beauty have departed. The great spring is the largest in the country, the water flowing through three openings into a basin forty feet long by twenty-five feet wide. From this the hot mineral waters drip over into lower basins, 
of gracefully curved and scalloped outline, the minerals deposited on the lips of the basin forming stalagmites of variegated hue, yielding a brilliant and beautiful effect. The terraced basins bear a close resemblance to the former New Zealand pink and white terraces, and since the annihilation of the latter, are the most charming examples in existence of this rare form of nature's artistic handiwork. End of chapter 31 and end of the San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire by Charles Morris